Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, if you were here last week, you know that we, we looked at the first part of Psalm 19. And we saw how the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Uh, we might say from last week, creation is telling us something. Or we could better say, God is telling us something through creation. Uh, if you want to know, there's a theological term for this. The theologians call this general revelation. General revelation. And what they mean by that is, uh, is, is, is the kind of revelation from God that comes generally to all people everywhere. So through creation, for example, everybody can see it. Everybody can, can hear it, can receive it. But there's another category of revelation as well called, that we call special revelation. Special revelation. And this is when God reveals himself to specific people at specific times in specific places. So you see the difference, for example, in like we, we talked last week about trees and bushes and things like that. Well, you look at creation, you see general revelation. Special revelation is like the burning bush. Right When God speaks to Moses directly from the burning bush or when, when God gives the Ten Commandments and the law. So when we talk about special revelation, which is going to be what we look at today, we're talking about how God reveals himself through the scriptures, how he speaks. So that's why we're going to look at the rest of Psalm 19 this morning. And we're going to see how the psalmist shifts away from what we looked at last week, where we were looking at the general revelation of creation. Now we're going to see the special revelation, what comes to us through God's inspired word. But before we jump into that, just want us to think for a moment where we would be if God had chosen never to reveal himself to us. If he had decided not to open our eyes to the wonders of creation. If he had decided not to speak a word through the prophets and the apostles. Without God's revelation, we'd be left stumbling around in the dark. We wouldn't know his plan of salvation. We wouldn't know him. I'm sure almost everyone in here has heard of Helen Keller. You know, she was uh, nine months old, 19 months old, when a, an illness left her deaf and blind and she was a prisoner to, to a world of incomprehensible sensations and inexpressible thoughts. And she later wrote about what it was like that period of time when she said, have you ever been at sea in a dense fog when it seemed as if a tangible white darkness shut you in? Light, give me light, was the wordless cry of my soul. 
Years later, you may know the story, Helen Keller's parents hired a teacher, Ann Sullivan, and she came to Helen. Helen was only six years old, and she was trying to break through to Helen, you know, to, to get into that, that world of silent darkness that, that Helen experienced. And the breakthrough came when she taught Helen how to sign the word water. And Helen, later on, when she wrote her own books, described that first moment when she realized her teacher was communicating with her. She says, someone was drawing water and my teacher placed my hand under the spout. And as the cool stream gushed over one hand, she spelled into the other the word water. First slowly, then rapidly. I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. And suddenly I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought. And somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. That living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. There were barriers still, it is true, but barriers that could in time be swept away. Now, the story of Helen Keller reminds us of the, the power of communication, Without God choosing to reveal himself, we are all like Helen Keller. We, we, we don't have ears to hear. We don't have the sight to see the, the reality of the world that we live in. Without God's revelation, we are, we're unaware of his expectations for us. We're unaware of his provision for salvation. Now, I know we're now in a world of iPhones and iPads and FaceTime and Instagram, and we take for granted the ease of communication. I mean, just think about how different it was for many of us when we were kids, communicating, uh, uh, trying to get in touch with mom or dad or whatever, or, or other people or friends or whatever, compared to now, when it seems like everyone is available at a moment's notice, right? Communication is so easy. We're so used to it. We just take for granted how easy it is. Not only that, we have a constant stream of information coming, flowing into us all the time. I mean, we've never, but we're just bombarded with information. It's as, 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 as communication is as, as common now as like breathing or sleeping. And you know, communicating is an important aspect of human existence. You know what it's like when you, you know what a tragedy it is when someone is no longer able to communicate. Let's say a, a disease comes in and maybe their mind is left intact, but they're unable to speak or unable to express themselves. We see that as particularly tragic. You know, there are people that um, uh, debate the pros and cons of something like solitary confinement for prisoners. Now, you may wonder, what is solitary confinement? Well, that's the, this complete solitude, right? Uh, there are some people who say that it's actually so destructive of a person's relational and mental capabilities that there are people who protest the practice of it. Now, whether, whether or not you, you know, whatever your views may be on whether solitary confinement is something that's good or bad or could be used or not be used, just the fact that there's even a conversation about it about somebody being completely isolated, it shows you something about the nature and power and importance of communication and what it means for our humanity, what it means for human flourishing. We are relational beings. We were made for words, for hearing and for speaking. That's why, no surprise, the psalmist praises God for the way that he has revealed himself to us. Here's the good news this morning. God has not left us in solitary confinement. As Francis Schaeffer liked to say, he is there 
and he is not silent. So I want us to start this morning where the psalmist does with the goodness of God's word. You know, last week we looked at the goodness of God's world. Today, the goodness of God's word. And that would be the first part of this passage. Open your eyes to the goodness of God's word. Let's read again verses 7 through 11. Uh, The psalmist says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. So you see in verse 7, that's where we picked up this morning, the psalmist has shifted to a new topic. David has already talked about how creation gives glory to God. Now he shifts over to the word of God, his divine revelation. You see, nature is not enough. Creation is insufficient. It gives you, the world gives you an idea of who God is and what God is like, but it doesn't get too specific. That's why we say it's general revelation. It stays general. It's only in God's word do we find the stronger form of God's revelation. Creation doesn't speak with words, but the Bible does. The Bible does. And here we have the inspired word of God that he himself breathed out to reveal himself. The Bible gets specific. You know, we're not here this morning to worship some generic God out there in the world, some generic general creator. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a God who interrupts us, who changes our plans, speaks. He tells us who he is, who we are, and what his plan is. Now, if you think that what we talked about last week, that God reveals himself through creation, that the world has been created by God and he reveals himself, if you think what we talked about last week is countercultural, well, then buckle your seatbelts. Because when we say God has spoken and that God still speaks through an inspired book, well, that's even more countercultural. And we could spend some time this morning, you know, comparing the Bible to other religious books, you know, like the Quran or the, the, the Book of Mormon or whatnot. But we're, we're not going to do that this morning because I'm, we're going to just, we're going to try to see this just the way David does. David just assumes the law of the Lord comes from the Lord. He doesn't try to prove it here. That's not his purpose. And th- there's a time and a place for looking at evidence for why we would want to be persuaded, uh, how we might persuade others that the Bible is the word of God. But uh, I'm not going to do that this morning. Because I assume most of us in here already agree with that. And if you're here and you don't agree that necessarily the Bible is the word of God, then I'm just going to invite you this morning to put yourself in the shoes of the psalmist to try to get into his mind, into his worldview, so that just imagine what it's like to see the Bible the way the psalmist does, to get into his head and see what he sees. And we find King David doing two things simultaneously. He looks at what God's word is, And he looks at what God's word is good for. Okay, look at what God's word is. Here's what he says. It is perfect. It is trustworthy. It is right, radiant, pure, reliable. In other words, this is a book you should want. It is perfect, trustworthy, righteous, 
Now, I know it's popular in some circles today to talk about the Bible as just a human book or just a a record of humanity's experience with God or whatnot, or that it's a book that's full of contradictions and errors and things like that. Listen, if you're in the mindset of the psalmist, I can't imagine the psalmist seeing the Bible that way. Can you? I mean, just look at the, 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 the words he uses to describe God's word. This is not a man who stands over the scriptures looking for errors. This is a man who sits under the scriptures, allowing God's word to search out the errors of his heart. And then look at what he says God's word is good for. He says, renewing one's life. That's the first one. You know, that's conversion. That's becoming a new creation in Christ. I mean, do you see the other words King David turns to? Words about joy, delight, and how the word is desirable. You know, you don't get any sense from King David that reading the Bible is a chore. Like this is, this is what, 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 he's got a taste for this. The, the psalmist wants to, wants to eat this book. That's what it sounds like. I mean, he compares it to honey that is sweet and tasty. And it's funny, even though, even the warnings in the Bible, he finds tasty. You know, like when he says, by them your servant is warned. Even though, you know, you know those sections of the Bible that are like, repent or die. The psalmist loves those too. Like he's learned to love even the parts of the Bible that might, you know, strike us the wrong way. And I would just say, there's something to take away from the psalmist with this. Because if you come to the Bible and all you like are the verses that inspire you, but not the chapters that confront you, or strike terror in you. Well, then you've got what I might call, what we could call a coffee mug Christianity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, just those verses that just make you feel good or that, that just, you know, uh, it, it, that's kind of going to the Bible to try to, to, to conjure up this God who will just affirm you as you are, not the God who will change you and what he wants you to be. And the psalmist has learned to love, even when it's painful, he's learned to love that process of transformation. You know, one of my favorite prayers in scripture comes from the longest chapter of the Bible. You know what the longest chapter of the Bible is? It's also the longest Psalm in the Bible. Psalm 119, right? Not going to read it all this morning because we'd be here a really long time, but the whole, the whole Psalm, and it's interesting, the longest chapter in the Bible is also a, basically a love song to the Bible, to the God of the Bible. Uh, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, verse 18, there's this verse, and this is This ought to be our prayer every morning when we open God's word. It says this, open my eyes that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. I just want to unpack that for just a second. Okay, notice that prayer. Open my eyes. You know what that means? In other words, God, you've got to do this. God, you've got to give me the taste for your word. You've got to open my eyes to see its glory. Otherwise, I'm going to treat this just like any other book. God, open my eyes. That's first. Then to what? That I may contemplate. What does that mean? That means you sit with this book. You chew on it. You meditate on it. You think about what you've read throughout the day. And look, contemplation is really hard in a world of distraction, like the world we're living in now. 
I mean, contemplation is not easy these days, is it? We, we don't contemplate very much in part because we're so busy communicating all the time or receiving communicating or being communicated to. It's almost like for most of us, we got the opposite problem of solitary confinement. We are so connected all the time and the deluge of information is coming at us. It's so strong that we hardly have the mental capacity to really contemplate something, to really seek to understand something. But you notice that's what the psalmist asks for. God, Open my eyes so that I can contemplate, meditate, savor, enjoy. You know, this means that you don't just flash a Bible verse on the screen in the morning and check off your Bible app reading plan as if you're popping a vitamin. You know, there's a difference between a vitamin pill and slowly feasting on something, isn't there? I mean, can you imagine if Christmas morning... Your grandma came downstairs Christmas brunch and says, you know what, guys, I've decided this morning uh, I've got a bunch of vitamins for you instead of Christmas brunch. Because, you know, all the nutrients we need are right here. And I just figured I wouldn't spend all morning in the kitchen. Uh, and, hey, we'll be eating done. You know, we'll be eating really fast. We'll be done eating really fast, too. So it's great. Like, what, what would, how would you respond? If grandma came down for Christmas brunch and just had a, a bottle of vitamins, you'd be like, well, <laughs> I want biscuits and gravy, right? Like, where's the ham, the bacon? What, no sausage casserole for Christmas? You know, I mean, you, you'd, be, you'd, you'd be wanting something more. But how many of us, when it comes to our Bible reading, we approach the Bible like that? Like, like popping a vitamin pill, rushing through a verse or passage, checking it off our list so that we can get to the, you know, the real stuff of life. No, the psalmist says, open my eyes so that I may contemplate what? Wondrous things from your instruction. Wonders. Glories. I mean, he wants gravy. He wants a steak, you know? Wondrous things. Like bacon. Well, this is the Old Testament era. Probably not bacon is what he's saying about. But, but the psalmist is saying like, help me meditate on the excellencies of this book. And to, just to put it another way, I'd say don't pass over the feast for a vitamin. Now hear me out. The vitamin is better than nothing. So going back to what the psalmist says in Psalm 19 though, you just don't see him extolling the taste of vitamins. You just don't. Like, he's not like, wow, this Flintstone vitamin is just so exquisite. It's just so amazing. Better than honey. So tasty. Like, you can't even picture that kind of thing. Because that's not how he treats the scripture. He sees this book as his life. His bread. His sustenance. I mean, eat this book. That's what he's saying. This is life. The psalmist is saying, feast on this book. Savor these words. This is no ordinary book. Now, I know some of you are hearing me this morning and you're just like, okay, Trevin, it is hard enough to fit Bible reading into my day. I mean, I am already, I'm doing my Bible reading every morning, but you know, a lot of times I will have to admit it feels more like a vitamin than it does like I'm getting a feast, like I'm just sitting down and I mean, it's just enough to get through the reading every day. And listen, if that's you this morning, I get that. And a lot of times, honestly, that's me too. And if we're all honest in here, all of us can probably relate to that at some level. And it's not every time you read the Bible that it's going to feel like Christmas brunch for, at grandma's. It's not always going to feel like a feast. Now listen, we know 
this is God's word. We know that he speaks to us through this book. And yet, a lot of times when we read the assigned portion of the scripture for the day, it can all feel really ordinary. Uh, you know, it, 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 we, we read a story. We may note a couple of things that are interesting. We don't necessarily see how it applies to our lives today. And then we move on. And I know some of you are really ambitious. You want to read through the whole Bible in a year. Some of you got your daily reading plan. You set it up at the beginning. You are working through. You know, by the time you get through just the first five books of the Bible, you've gone through extensive instructions on how to build a tabernacle. You know, the intricacies of the sacrificial system in Leviticus. Um, The book of Numbers, which we could say is well-titled. There are lots of numbers and names in there. And that's just the beginning of the Bible. And so you read the daily portion of scripture, you put down your pencil or your highlighter, and you're like, I don't feel like my life is changing. Listen, if you feel that way, you're not alone. Now, don't get me wrong. We are right to approach the Bible with anticipation. And we are right to come to the Bible with that that verse that we just put on the screen, with that, like, Lord, open my eyes. You've got to do this with anticipation that God is going to speak to us in a powerful and personal way. We should expect that. We should anticipate that. We should pray for that. But listen, the way that the Bible does its work in our hearts is often not through the lightning bolt of inspiration. It's through the gentle and quiet rhythms of daily submission of just opening our lives before this open book and asking God to change us. Change doesn't happen overnight. Growth doesn't happen in an instant. Instead, it happens over time as we eat and we drink and we exercise. And the same is true of scripture reading. The same is true of scripture reading. Not every meal you have is at a steakhouse. Not every meal is even memorable. I mean, if I were to say, what did you have three Tuesdays ago for lunch? I bet most of you wouldn't even be able to remember what you had, what you ate. But I bet the meal helped sustain you. It gave you strength, gave you sustenance. In the same way, we come to feast on God's word and we recognize it's in the daily intake. It's in the rhythm of submitting ourselves to God and bringing our hopes and our plans and our fears to him. That's what makes the difference over time. And there are times, there are wonderful times when God will speak like a thunderbolt and it'll be come from his word and it'll just, he'll press something so deeply into your heart that you'll just take that for, for days or weeks or never be able to unsee it again whenever you go back to that part of the scripture. Isn't it wonderful when God does that? Sometimes God does that, but I can, I can only think of like a handful of times in the past few months of Bible reading when that happened to me. And and that's my point. It's not every single day that you find something extraordinary that stays with you. That's not the way it works. It's, it's, It's not every day you find something extraordinary, but every day in the ordinary routine of reading your Bible, listen, you're still eating. You're still eating. You're coming to the table and you're asking the Lord to sustain you and to nourish you through his word. And you're, you're coming to the gospels and you're asking God to help you see Jesus, uh, your savior, again and again. And you're coming to the Psalms and you're lifting praise to God again. This is, it's an ordinary routine. Yes, it is. But you know what? Ordinary routines can change your life. They can change your life. And that leads me to something else we should take away from this psalm. You open your eyes to the goodness and tastiness of God's word, and then you read it until it reads you. 
Because look at what it says, verses 12 and 13. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. So, okay, I just want you to see what's happening here. Right after the psalmist has talked about how amazing and glorious the Bible is, the law of the Lord, right? He immediately shifts gears and he starts talking about the inner recesses of his heart and he starts searching himself and he's saying, what are my secret sins, Lord? What are my hidden faults? What are those things I don't even know that I'm doing wrong? Lord, expose those. What are the sins that are ruling me? Like you like, why this shift from God's special revelation to suddenly he's looking at his heart? Well, it's because King David does not have a, doesn't have a rosy eyed view of life in the world. He's got a stark assessment of just how bad he is. You see that? And you say, now, what's going on? Why, why is he shifting this way? Because this is, this is the, the way the logic of the psalm is flowing, right? Okay, here's what happens. <laughs> when you put yourself up next to the Bible, which we just talked about, is, you know, perfect and trustworthy and reliable and radiant. Remember all those things we just read about the law of the Lord? Once you put yourself up next to that, you suddenly start to see just how flawed and disreputable, and how failed, and how much of a dark sinner you are. I mean, that's what happens. And I know if that sounds bad to you this morning, if you're in here and you're just like, well, Trevin, I mean, come on, now you're making me feel like I'm some, you know, bad or dirty or unworthy kind of person. I mean, if that's you, I would just say, cheer up. You're probably a much worse sinner than you think you are. But here's the good news. God is much more gracious than you can imagine too. And that's where the good news starts. With a true assessment of your state before a holy and righteous God. You can't look up into the heart of grace until you look down into your heart of sin. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you just kept justifying yourself and your actions? Someone is trying to get through to you, to like to show you that you're in the wrong, you know, to show you how others are experiencing you right now, or to show you that your logic isn't quite right, or that you're not thinking through this right, or that, you know, and to show you that you're actually hurting other people. And like, you're, have you ever been in that moment where suddenly it's like you get an accurate view of yourself? That flash of insight happens when suddenly you realize, whoa, you were wrong. And suddenly, you know that moment when it just breaks you and it makes you weep? See, that's what happens again and again when we encounter God's word. We, we see God's word in all of its perfection and then the knowledge of our sin breaks our hearts, softens our hearts. The Bible lets you know how much you've wronged God and how much you wrong other people, but it does so so that your heart will be drawn to God in the kind of humility and grief that's necessary for us to experience his salvation. Once you know your sin, you're able to experience grace. And here you have a Bible that tells you about a God who paid the debt we owed by sending his son to the cross. Jesus died so that we might live. He was broken so that we might be made whole. Just think of the way the Bible portrays God. I've heard a pastor friend of mine, Jeremy Rose, ask the question this way. He says, what is your view of God? What is your view of God when you sin? 
you know, the typical religious sort of moralistic, legalistic way of seeing God is that he's always up there and he's just ready to get us and he's got thunderbolts ready to, or lightning ready to zap us whenever we do something wrong. If that's your view of God as the father, then whenever you sin, you're going to think, you're going to be like, I messed up. Dad is going to kill me. Once you know the gospel though, and once you see the God of the gospel, your response is, I messed up. I better call dad. You see the difference? Do you see the difference? The, the, the view of the father that you ought to have is now the father who's got his arms crossed, who can barely tolerate you, just, bare, just has it out for you. No, the view that we see of God the father in the Bible is the father who's running down the main street of the village ready to hug you no matter how far you've wandered, no matter how much you've squandered. See, the best part of the Bible isn't the Bible. It's that you encounter God in these pages. The majestic, awe-inspiring, all-powerful God who, who has the power to crush you like a bug loves you so much he became a man who was crushed in your place. Pinned like an insect, like a specimen on a cross. The Son of God who did whatever it took to reconcile you to him. That's the God we see in this book. There's one more aspect of this that we've got to see if we're going to have our eyes open to the word. It's this, number three, become a witness to the word through your words. Become a witness to the word through your words. Look at verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's how David ends the psalm. And we know David, we know the Lord answered David's prayer there. Because this psalm is included in God's inspired word. And I just want you to just for a moment, just sit on that for a second. God is speaking to us this morning through words, the words and thoughts of King David that were written down thousands of years ago. I mean, how amazing is that? But I want us also to, for you to know this. God wants to speak through you. He wants us to be his witnesses. See, this prayer of David, it closes this psalm. You're going to hear it a lot over the next few months because I pray this prayer at the end of every sermon I preach. Um, I still believe God speaks through people today. I believe that he speaks through me as a preacher whenever I'm faithfully proclaiming his truth in his word. His word is the ultimate standard the final standard of truth. And the psalmist's prayer about God ridding him of all of his sins, those of the, that he knows of and those that he doesn't. I mean, that's my prayer too. And I'm gonna challenge you at Fairview to answer this question honestly. When you come to God's word, not just on Sunday mornings, but also when you read it throughout the week, do you really expect or want to meet God when you read the Bible or when you listen to the Bible preached? Are you ready to be convicted? Are you ready to be challenged? Don't, don't look for devotionals or Bible teachers who will just make you feel good. Because the Bible is the kind of book that just makes you feel good. Uh, don't go to the Bible just to looking for doctrinal points so that you can have you know, great theological debates next time conversations about theology come up. There's a lot of theology in the Bible, but the Bible isn't the kind of book that just lays out doctrinal points all day long. You don't go to this book looking to fill your head with knowledge because the point of the Bible isn't to fill your head, it's to change your heart. And so my question for you is, are you ready to 
listen to God speak, willing to listen to God speak? Will you watch for him in creation? Will you listen to him in his inspired word? And then one last challenge I'd leave with you. Make the last verse of this chapter your prayer too. That your words will be acceptable to God, your redeemer. I mean, can you look for ways, even this week, can you look for ways that God might speak through you? Can you so immerse yourself in this book that you will know how to speak God's words to other people? And would you be available? Ask the Lord, Lord, make me available so that I can encourage other people through this book. Challenge other people through this book. Witness to other people. Witness to the love of God through this book. Are you willing to open your mouth and share the gospel with others? Listen, God is still speaking today. So let's pray that God will open our eyes to his glory in creation, that he'll open our eyes to his glory in his word, and that he would speak the story of his glory through sinners turned saints like you and me. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and we give you praise and glory for your holy word that you've given to us. We ask that you would help us to develop a taste for your word, a hunger for your word, a desire to inwardly digest the words of this book that you've given us. And we would hear from you, respond to you, that you would speak through us, that your words would ever be on our hearts and on our minds and on our lips. And Father, we pray that you, we, you would help us to lift you up as the King of Kings, that we would be the one who, ones who know the story of redemption and are able to share it freely, and that you would receive all honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.